Welcome, welcome to Not a Hoax, Not a Dream, the podcast about comic book characters who just don't quit. You can try to write them off, but they'll just get written back in. You can try to kill them, but they'll just get better. I'm your host, Ben Rathbone, and I'm recording from the blue area of the moon. You might have heard of it. It's this cool spot on the moon where there's an oxygen-enriched environment, so I can breathe here normally. It's also home to the ruins of an ancient civilization that I guess lived here at some point. It's also also the home of Uatu the Watcher, who I'm trying to track down the guest on the podcast. It'd be a pretty big deal to get him on, but he's hard to pin down. I guess because he just shows up places whenever something of momentous importance is about to happen, and that can keep him busy. But luckily, I found some other great guests. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Monte. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing well. Great. It's, you know, it's a day. We're alive. <laughs> yep. That's, that's a good sign. It's trending upward. Uh, yeah. So I invited you to the show today to talk about Jean Grey and the Phoenix. I asked for your help here because it's a such a pivotal storyline in comic books. And you yourself have a podcast where you talk about many different storylines throughout comic book history, many different comics in general weekly. So could you briefly introduce your, your podcast and how it got started? Yeah, so we our podcast is called the SJW Comic Book Club. And we just get together once a week, talk a little bit about comics. We usually talk about the themes, the characters, whether or not we like it a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter makes it into our podcast we don't get (laughs) super intellectual very often but when we do it's like really good really smart points like really yep (laughs) yep i can definitely lie and confirm that that's (laughs) yep i've only ever said super smart stuff on that podcast so (laughs) no i i I think you're not giving yourself enough credit i've I've listened to to multiple of your episodes you know i I just kind of ran through your your feed and and said okay i've read that comic i've read that one and listened to a bunch so and uh yeah you you bring out some good points it's uh it's always a good conversation well thank you thank you it's very generous I guess we should also probably mention that we do have a third co-host. She's not here. Her name's Veronica. Uh, She wasn't invited because (laughs) we're the better. Well, I invited her, but... (laughs) Well, we disinvited her. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's good. That's fine. (laughs) I'm happy that you're both here, so that's that's fine. Like I said, I invited you both here to talk about Jean Grey, her first story of her first death and first resurrection of you know, there, there'll be another big one later on. But I, I wanted to kind of see if we could play a, a game to start off here. So th- this is kind of a very well talked about storyline to the point where there's there's like scholarly articles about it and lots of different published articles, obviously a lot, a lot of social media conversation as well. So I thought we could play a game. I, I picked out some quotes that I've read about Jean Grey and the Phoenix and I want to see if you can guess whether the quote is from a published article or from social media. Sound good? Okay. I'm ready. Right. Cool. So the first one is, in the Dark Phoenix Saga, Jean refuses to be subjugated within a culture that makes it clear that women serve only subordinate roles. Jean's dialogue speaks metaphorically to this theme of defying domestic half-life. Do you An think article? that's social media or a published work? Published work? <sighs> I'm going to say social media because some of those words sounded made up. Okay. <laughs> Could have been how I pronounced it too. But um, so 
Monte, you're right. It is social media, but uh, nailed it. It's kind well, of a, it was the half life. A, yeah. So it's <laughs> so that it's doesn't kind of a sound trick. like an actual word. <laughs> so it's kind of a trick question though, because it's from the Claremont Run Twitter account, and which is actually funded by I think it's a Canadian university. So a little bit in both worlds there. Yeah, we were both right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, it seemed like the game was rigged, but yeah, we were both right. <laughs> All right. So for the next one, her arc in general reflects the way that comic book writers have treated women historically because men don't know what to do with powerful women. Do you think that's from a published work or from social media? Social I'd media? Say that's an article. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, how about we both just guess all the, the either one, and then one of us will be right, no matter yeah, what. that's a strategy. That is a strategy, um, but Monte wins again. Oh, of course this he does. Is... He's so talented. Um, so the quote is from Ruben Angel, and it's in an article on sci-fi.com uh, by Sarah Sentry called The Queer Fan Base of Jean Grey. So... So let's do, so we'll, we'll do two more. So the next one is Jean Grey is one of the worst examples of the representation of females in comics. Sure, she supposedly has infinite abilities when coupled with the Phoenix Force, but the Phoenix Force is just another entity tossing her around like a puppet. Social that sounds like social media. Published work. What do you think, Monte? Uh, yeah, that does. That that sounds like social media, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Social media, yeah. Okay, you both have it. That's from uh, yes. Jean. Yeah, that's from <laughs> Jean Grey has agency on Tumblr. And last one. Of course, it's uh, Tumblr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very Tumblr. Yeah, very Tumblr quote. Um, all right. And then the last one, Jean slash Phoenix provides a fruitful example of a promising monster, a figure whose marked body demonstrates the fluidity layeredness and fragility of identity categories and whose very materiality threatens hegemonic boundaries of gendered embodiment social, social media. media or <laughs> published okay work. I, i'm gonna say published work because that was too many words and no one would use that many words on social media right <laughs> well i would disagree with that but no! you are right. yeah. <laughs> You're... <laughs> But you are right, Melissa. Yes! Published work. Suck it, Monte. I finally got one of them. <laughs> you got um, the last it's, one. That's <laughs> all that matters. Yeah, it's from The Dark Phoenix as Promising Monster by Samantha Langsdale. So, so it's cool. like I, there's some. Okay. Not to like insult any, but I'm sure like the articles there are really great and well thought out. But like it's sometimes hard to tell what's social media mumbo jumbo of people like throwing random words together and what's academic mumbo jumbo of people throwing words together and kind of making up words i agree with that it's difficult it it, it can be yeah i mean (laughs) what is the difference between scholarly works and social media you could write either a post or scholarly article about that i think is one of them sometimes behind a paywall and the other one's always available is that the only difference (laughs) maybe (laughs) i guess there's some social media that you could say is behind a paywall but but for the most part no only fans my yeah my comic book only fans (laughs) 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 subscribe uh for seven dollars seven dollars a month to hear me 
uh, rant and make up words about different comic book story arcs. Okay, great. You're, and you're it's like the same fan. as what's on the free podcast, too. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> awesome. All right, cool. I didn't keep score, so hopefully you did or, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I so. won. Yeah, Monte won. It's fine. <laughs> I got three. Melissa got two, so I won. I mean, like, I'm always keeping score. <laughs> like, I mean, one could say that the last one was worth three times as many points as the other first three, but like, it's fine. We don't have to like get into who won and who didn't win, even if we were all keeping score and writing it in our diaries and crying about it tonight. It's fine. Excellent. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, that was fun. Thank you for indulging me. Welcome. This is Stanley of Marvel Comics warning you to look around you, your classmates, your friends. You never know which one of them may be a mutant, a person born with strange and wondrous powers. Now, some mutants like the X-Men use their special gifts for good. But then there are the terrorist mutants who plan to destroy the human race. Mutants. I hate them. The X-Men are mutants born with extraordinary abilities and powers that set them apart from the rest of humanity. Gathered together by Charles Xavier, they have sworn to protect a world that hates and fears them. The original X-Men consisted of five teenagers, Cyclops, Angel, Beast, Iceman, and Marvel Girl. Havoc and Polaris join sometime later. But when this first iteration of X-Men is captured by the living island Krakoa, Xavier is forced to travel the world and assemble a new group of mutants. In 1976, the current X-Men roster consists mostly of members of that original rescue team that have stayed on with Xavier. Storm, Banshee, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, and Colossus. Scott Summers, the man named Cyclops, continues to lead the team, while the rest of the original members have moved on to other pursuits. Like Jean Grey, the woman named Marvel Girl, who moved to Greenwich Village to pursue a career outside of superheroing. But even though Jean is no longer part of the X-Men, she and Scott continue the romantic relationship that developed while they were teammates. Jean also forms a deep friendship with Storm during this period. The X-Men's newest adventure begins on Christmas Day in New York City. Jean, Scott, and the X-Men are enjoying themselves outside of costume in warm winter clothing suitable for a white Christmas, snow courtesy of Storm. The R&R is quickly interrupted, however, by giant mutant hunting robots called the Sentinels, who the X-Men have fought in the past. The Sentinels capture Jean, Wolverine, Banshee, and Xavier, taking them to a space station in orbit, where mutant-hating villain Stephen Lang plans to experiment on them to build more effective Sentinels. Cyclops, Storm, Nightcrawler, and Colossus mount a rescue mission with the help of astronaut science doctor Peter Corbeau, but are split up once they arrive at the space station. Meanwhile, Jean and company break out from their imprisonment, but are also split up while trying to escape. Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Banshee, and Wolverine run into each other and together find Stephen Lang in the main control room. But Lang isn't alone. With him is Xavier, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Angel, Beast, Iceman, Havoc, and Polaris. And this original team of X-Men have decided the new team has got to go. What is going on? We find out in... X-Men 100. Written by Chris Claremont, penciled and inked by Dave Cockrum, colored by Bonnie Wilford, lettered by Annette Kowecki, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Kill them all! Xavier yells, and a battle between X-Men commences. Iceman calls Wolverine a slur and hurls a snowball into his face. Storm dodges Cyclops' optic blast, while Colossus knocks Havoc off his feet. Nightcrawler and Beast trade acrobatic fisticuffs, while Angel and Banshee take part in an aerial duel. As the battle royale evolves, Storm faces off against Jean, and wonders aloud why her friend is attacking them. Did the hours they'd spent trading confidences mean nothing? Perhaps Storm's foe isn't Jean at all. 
This suspicion is confirmed as truth when Wolverine tears into Marvel Girl with his claws, revealing her to be a robot and not the real Jean. Wolverine's uncanny enhanced senses detected this to be the case before he attacked. Soon after, the real Jean, Cyclops, and Xavier arrive and help the X-Men defeat Lang and the remaining Sentinels. But it's out of the frying pan and into the fire for our heroes. Peter Corbeau has bad news, really bad news, and worst news. The bad news is the automatic pilot system in their spacecraft is broken. The really bad news is that a record-breaking solar flare is about to destroy this space station and everyone on it. The worst news is that the cockpit won't be able to shield him from the sun's radiation, so he can't manually fly them back to Earth. Jean Grey listens and makes a decision. She'll fly them back. Jean can use her telepathy to absorb Dr. Corbeau's knowledge as a pilot and can use her telekinesis to protect her from the solar radiation. But Cyclops passionately objects. Jean might be able to shield out the radiation long enough to get them home, but her power isn't enough to handle it completely. She won't survive the experience. Jean doesn't disagree, but is committed to the course, and knocks out her boyfriend before he can try to stop her. Wolverine also tries to talk her out of it, but Jean yells him into submission. Finally, Storm says a final goodbye to her friend, and Jean asks her to tell Scott that she loved him. Scott wakes up as Jean pilots the shuttle through the flare. It's too late to save her now. The radiation breaks through as they approach the Earth's atmosphere, and Jean struggles to keep it together. The craft breaks through into the stratosphere, hurtling downwards and downwards. It reaches the Earth and arcs out into Jamaica Bay, plunging into the water. Moments later, the X-Men emerge, treading water, alive. But what of Jean? The water around them glows with iridescent rainbow fire, and then explodes. A figure flies upward. She appears to be Jean, but different, wearing a new green and gold costume before Unseen. Hear me, X-Men, she says. No longer am I the woman you knew. I am fire. I am life incarnate, now and forever. I am Phoenix. Then she uh, collapses down into the bay, unconscious. Okay, lady, it's time for you to do your stuff. That's what Jean thinks to herself. She refers to herself as a lady in her own mind. Uh, is that like on the last page? Uh, it's after she says bye to Storm. Oh, yeah. Okay, lady. Yeah. <laughs> okay, lady. Okay, dumb bitch, let's go. <laughs> That's how every woman in the 70s talked to themselves in their head. Yeah, very stern. Yeah. <laughs> Now, young lady, you fly into that radiation, you fly into that sun flare, and you take care of this. (laughs) You're going to die today, and you're going to like it. (laughs) (laughs) Who is this saying this? Oh, (laughs) It was was, uh, Jean's, like, internal monologue to herself, like, right after she says bye to Storm. She said, hold on, let me pull it back up. It's like, okay, lady. It basically it's time just, to do your stuff. Yeah, it's time to do your stuff. She's oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> referring to herself as lady, like within her own head, just kind of right. made me laugh. Yeah. So that is pretty good. Had either of you read this before? Not me. Yeah. You, uh, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't what we read. I was going to say we read this for the podcast, but we didn't. We didn't. Oh, okay. That's not true. I have read true. it before, though, yeah. Okay. So, Melissa, this was your first time reading it. Had you known about kind of the twist in this of, of the X-Men, the one team of X-Men all being robots? Did you have any warning for that? Uh, no. Okay, here's the thing. Maybe yeah. Monte told me at one point years ago. 
and I forgot. So it was a total like shock. I was like, what? A robots? <laughs> right. Classic, <laughs> classic comic book moment. <laughs> I love a good uh, classic robot moment in a, in a comic book where they think they're fighting somebody, but it's, it's really a robot, you know? Doctor Doom does it the most, I think. Uh, <laughs> people think they're fighting Doctor Doom, but he's always just gaslighting people, and it's it's just robots <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, pretty pretty early issue in in kind of Chris Claremont's run of like seventeen years or, or whatever he did. Uh, you know, I, pretty action packed, a lot of lot of stuff going on, and I think the coolest Jean Grey is up to the up to this point. I, I would say. Where, Definitely, where she, yeah. Yeah, where she kind of saves everybody by some some smart use of all her powers. And originally, I'd, I'd asked you to read X-Men number 101, which is when, I guess, the Phoenix, where she first appears in her Phoenix identity. But I kind of forgot that. So she she does that, but that's in the first few like pages of that issue. And then the rest of the issue is, 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 is all just people kind of hanging out, talking, and, and she's kind of napping the whole time. So... <laughs> Well, she just so, became so I, the phoenix. She's got a nap. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like go to the grocery store and I'm like, "Woo, tuck her down. I need a nap." Like, imagine right. becoming the phoenix. Am I right? <laughs> it would take a lot out of Resurrecting yourself you. from the dead. It really. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can I say something about the next story arc, though? So yeah, the story arc after this is the the X Men are all in the hospital and they're like. You know, Jean Grey's in a coma, napping, whatever she's doing. We got to be there for him. Professor X is like, um, no, all of you guys actually need to fuck off because <laughs> only I'm allowed to be here with Jean. Uh, so you guys go off to Scotland. So they do it. And then they meet Juggernaut and his, like, boyfriend, sort of. It's his boyfriend. It has to be. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. Whether, it, whether it was intended to or not, it, it, ha- it is at this point. It is. Th- that's his boyfriend. And it might have so, been intended to. It's very unclear. Yeah. I would like to think so, yeah. Yeah. That, like, fraternal male bonding that gets just a little too fraught. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, it's a real fun issue was the point. Uh, Right. Because Juggernaut's great. Juggernaut is hilarious. His boyfriend is less great, but the dynamic is good. And also, it's just really funny that Professor X is such a creepo that he's like, you guys can't sit here with Gene, only I can, so you need to leave. Right. It's like, you all need to go on a vacation. And Banshee is like, I have the perfect vacation. I own a castle in Ireland. It's like, of course you do, Banshee. Sure. Um, Don't we all uh, own a castle in Ireland? uh, I don't, but I'd love to. (laughs) I do. Okay, that's good for you. Does it have leprechauns in it? Kind of just hanging out. Keeping... Oh yeah, there's fucking leprechauns. Yes, leprechauns. there's leprechauns. You buried the lead. There's ble- that's <laughs> there's leprechauns. That's that was probably the point. Leprechauns. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's juggernaut and there's leprechauns and it's great and it's really fun and we should read it. Yeah. Fun. Fun. Fun fact about those leprechauns. They're they're the first ones to speak Wolverine's uh, real name, Logan. Well, at this point, we think his real name is Logan. That Later is on, true. we learn it's James Hallett. But yeah. So the first ones to speak the name Logan are leprechauns. Before this, they, everybody was just calling him Wolverine. So Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know of a way to force me to read a comic, Monte. Leprechauns. <laughs> I do. No, with the podcast. You just got to put it on the list and I'll read it. <laughs> I'm going to do that. 
Yeah. Awesome. So as far as Phoenix, what what do you think of of her first appearance and, and how she became how she gained that identity? I honestly really love I feel like we haven't really read that much Jean Grey, but I don't know if there's like a bunch of comics with Jean Grey that are boring or lame, but oh, the ones that we've read have been so phenomenal uh, with Jean Grey. Um, I don't know. Is she like boring as Marvel Girl or something like that? Yeah. Um, kind of or? Yeah. I mean, I think she had her moments here and there, but for the most sure. part, they don't do much with her. Yeah. But just like seeing that her origin story, because like, we read the Dark Phoenix Saga as like, one of the the first comic that we started with on our podcast and it was such a phenomenal and deep story that we spent hours just getting into the nuances and like the the storytelling and how impactful it was of a story and to see that the origin of this reading it it starts with her sacrificing herself to become the phoenix and then spoiler alert we're going to read in the next comic her sacrificing herself again to save her friends. And I don't know if maybe that was like the whole arc where it just kind of like ties up really neatly. I mean, I guess it doesn't tie up neatly if you bring her back a bunch, but this original story feels like it has a very intentional beginning and end that are very poetically connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I kind of, I love this first little trilogy of x-men fighting the sentinels and then going into space and and gene gray kind of having to fly the the space shuttle back and save everybody it's good stuff plus i feel like we don't since we i don't read that many comics with her you get to see her like little uh purple mind powers as she like uses her telepathic powers to like do stuff to people but it's just like a weird purple like coming out of her head and like zapping another person (laughs) and i honestly thought it was really funny and just like a fun what is this like the 80s a fun this would be the late 70s 70s yeah yeah very campy very indicative of that time Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Any last thoughts about about this one before we jump to the next? I think so. I think it's really interesting in this issue how you see her interactions and just like kind of the way that she says goodbye to Cyclops, to Wolverine, and then to Storm. These mm-hmm. are the three members of the X Men, aside from Professor X, who have the closest relationship with her and. Mm-hmm the most impactful relationship and it's just interesting the way that they all kind of play off each other like cyclops she has to literally subdue him because he just can't control himself which is like the complete antithesis of what his character is supposed to be like he's this paragon of self-control and stuff but with gene he like becomes hysterical and has to be mind zapped into a coma <laughs> yeah cyclops is kind of a mess sometimes with his emotions he, he goes one way or the other there's no kind of in between for that guy yeah um and then with wolverine like she just just she just has to yell at him just like <laughs> just like shut up wolverine you're so annoying but at the same time, she has love for Wolverine. She cares about him and stuff. And then mm-hmm. the interaction with Storm, I think, is always really impactful to me. Storm's one of my favorite characters, especially in the X-Men. And just the way that she interacts with her teammates is always really interesting because there's just this this layer of respect between both of them that you don't really see with the others 
not that Wolverine and Cyclops don't respect her at all, but it's just Storm is just like, you've made your decision. I have to make peace with it because it's not up to me. It's up to you. Um, yeah, I I really like that too. I like I like the friendship uh, Storm and and, and Jean, and it, it was cool how she wasn't okay with Jean doing this, but also she understood it was her choice, and so she she kind of had a, a different interaction with with that the, the boundaries between in their friendship than than the other characters. So that was cool. Not Jean. Only her body. I am Phoenix! When Jean Grey wakes up, she discovers that she's bonded with a mysterious cosmic firebird named the Phoenix. Through the Phoenix, Jean wields unimaginable powers over the fundamental forces of the universe. She defeats a Herald of Galactus in single combat, and this proves to be just the beginning of what she's capable of. When Emperor Daken of the alien Shi'ar Empire threatens to destroy the reality-pinning Macron Crystal, Jean and the Phoenix use their cosmic powers to mend the crystal and save the universe. After this, though, Jean mostly uses the powers to instantly rearrange the molecules in her clothing to wear whatever fashion she's feeling in the moment. It's a neat ability. Little does she know, forces are moving against her behind the scenes. Old X-Men foe Mastermind begins mentally manipulating Jean through the use of his illusion powers, combined with telepathic technology developed by Emma Frost, the White Queen. Mastermind hopes to seduce Jean and position her against the X-Men so he can secure a place for himself in the mysterious Hellfire Club inner circle. Jean is sucked into Mastermind's illusion, and feels her sanity tearing apart from the edges, as a version of herself is romanced by a fabricated persona Mastermind created. She believes she's experiencing memories of an ancestor, and loses herself in these experiences every time they wash over her. The X-Men barely defeat the Hellfire Club and reveal Mastermind's plot. When Jean finds out how she's been manipulated, something in her snaps. The barrier between her and the Phoenix breaks. The barrier between her and her emotions breaks. All of this coalesces together, and she gives in to her most terrible urges, becoming the Dark Phoenix. In an initial battle, the X-Men are powerless to stop her. The Phoenix then takes to the stars. A ravenous hunger possesses her, one that can only be sated by consuming a star. The one she chooses is in the Dabari system. As she finishes her meal, a supernova destroys billions of broccoli-headed sentient lifeforms. Phoenix returns to Earth, where the X-Men are waiting for her, now joined by Xavier, Beast, and Angel. Xavier is able to help Jean suppress the Phoenix, returning her to normal for the time being. But then the Shi'ar Empire shows up. They detected the Phoenix's destructive display of power in the Dabari system, and have decided that Jean Grey is too dangerous to remain alive. X-Men 137 Written by Chris Claremont, co-plotted and penciled by John Byrne, inked by Terry Austin, colored by Glynis Ween, lettered by Tom Orsakowski, and edited by Jim Salakrup and Luis Jones, later Luis Simonson. The X-Men are beamed up onto the Shi'ar Imperial ship. They're surrounded by armored guards and an assembly of officials. They are addressed by Lalandra, Empress of the Shi'ar, and also Charles Xavier's girlfriend. It brings her no pleasure to have to sentence Jean Grey to death. The Phoenix must be destroyed, for the good of both the Empire and the Universe. But Xavier has been studying up on Shi'ar law while dating the Empress. He declares Aranan Hilar and challenges Lalandra to a duel of honor for the life of his student. The Magistrix has no choice but to accept. The duel will commence at Earth's dawn and take place on the blue area of the moon, 
The X-Men will battle the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, a team of warriors with powers that rival that of even the most formidable superpowered beings on Earth. The stakes will be Jean Grey's life. The X-Men are granted a modicum of hospitality by the Shi'ar on the starship, and take the evening to prepare for the next day's battle. Each of the mutants meditates on their own motivations. They all at the magnitude of Phoenix's destruction, but confirm their own convictions to defend their friend. No one struggles more with doubt about the upcoming fight than Jean herself. Does she truly deserve to live after what she's done? She remembers feeling the screams of the dying, and reveling in it. But Scott refuses to believe that it was her who did that. He says they have to fight, or else the Dark Phoenix wins. When it is time for the duel to begin, Jean shows up dressed in her old Marvel Girl costume for what might be her last fight. The battle is epic, and the X-Men fight valiantly, but one by one they are defeated, until it is only Jean and Cyclops left standing against the remaining Imperial Guard. Outnumbered and cornered, they desperately fight on. When Cyclops is knocked down, it all happens too fast, and Jean feels her cry of shock and grief turn into a fiery eruption. Her psychic restraints shatter. The Phoenix is loose again. Xavier uses his telepathy to shock the unconscious X-Men awake and rally them against the cosmic threat. They're not strong enough to match her powers, but do manage to give Jean another moment of clarity. Once again, Jean Grey makes a decision. She understands the nature of the Phoenix now, and neither of them can survive without the other. In order to end the threat of the Phoenix, there's only one way forward. Cyclops begs for her to stop, to reconsider, he asks for her to use her will and fight the dark side of her. But Jean won't have any other lives on her conscience. She knows that she would have to stay completely in control of herself every second of every day for eternity. It isn't fair for her to take that risk. Jean tells Scott she loves him, and that part of her will always be with him. Then she reaches out with her mind, and activates an ancient weapon abandoned by whatever civilization once lived here in the ruins. A laser fires into Jean's body, leaving nothing but a pile of ash in front of the distraught Scott Summers. Oatu the Watcher has observed all of this and ponders the meaning of all he has witnessed. This is what he comes up with. Jean Grey could have lived to become a god, but it was more important to her that she die a human. The next one, X-Men number 137. Famous cover. This Marvel comic could be worth $2,500 to you. It, it isn't to me, but <laughs> maybe somebody out there got that $2,500. I hope. I don't I don't know. But but yeah, depicted is uh, Cyclops and Jean defending, fighting un unseen foes on in space. It says, Phoenix must die. Special double-sized issue. So this is kind of the, the climax of the, the Dark Phoenix saga. Any initial thoughts about this issue as we get into it? This is the one that I have read of the three that uh, we read for this particular conversation. But so this one was, I think we originally read it back in 2020 or something like that, Monte. I don't remember exactly remember when it started but yeah. I remember most of it and I remembered really enjoying the breakdown of the conflict and and how everyone loved Jean Grey but in different levels had to come to terms with what she had done which just to reiterate was killing five billion people like mm -hmm. not a cute look for Dark Phoenix or for Jean Grey even if she didn't mean it you know <laughs> oopsie but Oopsies. <laughs> it, oops, I destroyed a planet. 
<laughs> and she did admit to like not like regretting it. it. Yeah. Like, yeah, she didn't hate it. Like <laughs> <laughs> Right. She's kind of like the the power of it is very alluring to her. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like what such a powerful and intoxicating character. What an what an what in very interesting and satisfying way of her coming to terms with the consequences of her actions and being held accountable. And I really enjoyed this when I first read it and I enjoyed it again, reading it again. Cool. Yeah. This is probably one of my favorite comics that this, this issue, it's just such a, the whole setup of it. It's just, you know, even if you hadn't read the issues previous to it, the whole setup of it, you, you understand that she's destroyed this planet and it was how, how responsible is she for that is kind of like a, a part of the whole drama of the issue and her friends, everybody in this issue seems to their motivations seem believable. So it, it, oh, there's yeah. no, there's nobody being written as the villain in a way that's like two dimensional. It's like every, everybody, everybody's motivations seem very believable that they're trying to convict Jean for this and her friends are on her side and it kind of evolves from there. So yeah. What, what do you think, Monte? So this whole era of comics, Claremont, his writing style is just very, very wordy. And sometimes that isn't the best. But in this issue, going through each character's misgivings, I guess, would be a good way to put it. Like ambivalence, how ambivalent each of the X-Men are about Gene did this horrible thing. This is Gene. Some of them make excuses that she's under the control of something else. Some of them are like, I literally just don't care what she did. She's family and we're going to defend her. I think once again, it's Storm that sticks out the most for me, just because again, Storm is the only female friend <laughs> that Jean really has at this point. I think she was mm -hmm. like friends with Misty Knight at one point. I don't know if it was before or after this, but yeah, she's roommates with Misty Knight, which is more of a thing they just kind of mentioned than than a thing that actually you see yeah. a whole lot of. But but yeah, wasn't Misty Knight? Misty Knight is in the Dark Phoenix saga, isn't she? She's there. Yeah, she's she in the original Phoenix saga. She's in the original more so, okay. but she probably makes an appearance somewhere. I'm not sure. Yeah, so you know, you've got Misty Knight, but like you said, Misty Knight's not a major character in the X Men. You don't really see their interactions that much. Whereas Storm, mm -hmm. you see them being kind of sisters. And I think Storm saying, Dark Phoenix symbolizes all that I abhor, but knowing that she's Jean, I find that I can no more deny her than I can myself. That's so, that's such a beautiful way to encapsulate the feelings that come with reconciling that someone that you love and really care about has done something bad, either to you or to somebody else or, or whatever, like regardless of how big or little that bad thing is, it's just, it's a really poignant kind of way to, to explain that feeling. And everybody has their moment like that, but Storms obviously stuck out the most to me. Also, Wolverine is so hairy. Like people, people used to. Are, nobody, nobody draws Wolverine this hairy anymore, and I don't understand why. Like he, he's a hairy man. Let him be hairy. Mm -hmm. Look at all that. Yeah, it, it's it's very gratuitous in one of these pages. <laughs> yes. Like there's, this, I'm I'm looking at it now. Like there's this page of it's like the top half is Wolverine coming out of the shower, and then the bottom half is Beast taking a bath. And it's like Wolverine is as hairy as Beast. He's More not so. blue, but like, yeah, <laughs> it's very gratuitous in a way that I think that I think works. But you're right; like, he's not as hairy later on. Yeah, we need to go back to drawing Wolverine um, 
looking like an actual animal. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, there used to be this thing with Wolverine where it seemed like he kind of was an animal. Like, he used to talk to animals in these early issues, I, I noticed. Yeah. He doesn't do that as often anymore. Yeah, he... he I don't know if now Wolverine is like but... a philosopher. He's like the warrior philosopher kind of archetype. I really like this version of Wolverine that's more mysterious and feral. Um, mm-hmm. And his relationship with Gene, I think, is better back in this era as well right. than it is now, where it's now it's kind of it was always a little bit creepy because it's she's not she it's not like that Wolverine just stop. But now I don't know. I feel like it's. It's just gotten more and more creepy, the weird kind of ownership that a lot of people write Wolverine having over mm. Jean and her memory when she's dead. And I don't know. That's beside the point, probably. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, that relationship was kind of interesting to read about in these issues, but it, it kind of went to a whole different level later on. There's this whole like Wolverine kind of like he de- he definitely is trying to court Jean but and Jean is just isn't sure what she feels about it. But then Wolverine, there's moment there's these moments where Wolverine respects Cyclops and it it's it's kind of interesting to read, but you can go to that well I think only so much and they just kind of kept going to it and, and the stories mm-hmm. became kind of yes, less interesting sure. over time. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I think we pointed it out when we talked about it the first time and I just have to point it out here that Colossus is hot. Sure. Mhm. Yeah, he has, has this to moment too where he he wakes up out of bed and then he just kind of stretches his arms out and, <laughs> and he turns becomes... into a metal man. <laughs> just like that's his routine. Yeah. Just kind of... <laughs> yeah. Every day I wake up, I turn into a metal man. I go about my day. He had he yep. didn't even brush his teeth. No. <laughs> Come he didn't on. even change out of his whitey tidies. He was just like <laughs> Yeah. It's time to go. <laughs> so yeah, they fight on the moon, which is which I always thought was cool. And it, it's this weird spot on the moon where they can breathe and, and, and like the Watcher lives and, and Wolverine kind of like accidentally gets like thrown into the Watcher's house and has to leave and he's, he's just not happy about it. That, that, that's one of my favorite kind of random things that happens in, in, in this issue. I, I don't know if they got too ambitious in making this a double-sized issue and they're like, oh, we need to fill some pages. Let's just throw Wolverine in this random house where the watcher lives <laughs> and like the watcher just start, like it's like i can't interfere with anything but i can mess with your head and make it seem like you're through all these different time periods and then wolverine's like oh man you're giving me a headache but i mean i don't know how else are you supposed to deal with wolverine to be honest yeah <laughs> I, <laughs> I always love seeing wolverine getting just knocked out just like totally molly whopped just just <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I love it. I, I like either seeing him get kind of his ass kicked or him just being the lone one left and having to fight through all these people to try to save everybody. Those are basically the two modes in which Wolverine thrives for me. <laughs> um, anything in between, he's yeah, yeah he, not as not as cool. Yeah, I appreciate when the when the watcher like popped him out, which is like just right. add him out of his little house <laughs> on some rubble and, and then immediately he was fighting a fake storm Oof! right it you was really it. a scroll how Those do you guys scrolls. feel about so i've heard people describe the ending and Jean's decision to sacrifice herself as either her claiming her agency fully like an act of ultimate agency 
or as a sort of cop-out to write her out of the story and fridge her. How Mm -hmm. do you guys, do you guys fall one way or the other on that? What do you think? So I can see it either way. Uh, Melissa, do you have an answer to this? I guess I never really thought about it as fridging her because I've always seen it as her having agency and taking control over her destiny and taking accountability for her actions. The way Scott likes to narrate it very cleanly at the end, which is, (laughs) wow, she actually was thinking about doing this the entire time. And then she probed these people's minds and found out where the weapons were stored. And then she manipulated it so that she was weakened by the other team. And then she stood in front of the phaser and then she died. And it was her plan the whole time. And, and, you know, (laughs) yeah, a lot happens in that like one panel when she dies. Like, Cyclops just like explains it like all afterwards. You're right. And and I always thought that that was her way of taking the choice out of her friend. Like it, it this is like an awful choice that we spend a whole half uh, or more of an issue having her friends thinking about this and what their decision is. And in the end, she says, "I'm not going to make you guys make this decision. I'm going to make this decision." And I always really liked that ending. But I can you know I can kind of see how some people want to you know you created a character that's way too powerful. You gotta put him somewhere for at least a minute right like they can't just show up and be perfect and kill everything and be godlike and never do anything wrong but then if they do something wrong like you also have to hold them accountable for it and how do you hold someone accountable for i don't know maybe like approximately five billion lives that they destroyed that mm-hmm. seems pretty significant yeah yeah monte do you do you fall one way or the other in your question i think of it as her claiming agency yeah Okay. And making yeah. a decision about her own life. Yeah, I, I agree. I th- I think that's the the way it's written. I th- I think that that's what's happening is she's claiming her agency. But when you look at the the bigger picture, there's kind of like a meta narrative to it. They're they're trying to get her out of the series as a whole because she became as powerful as she did. So I can see that argument. But the way it's written within the story, the the way it it kind of flows panel to panel, to me, it's always read that way. Is that this is her moment where she's making a choice and. And this is what she's doing. So there, there was all kinds of editorial behind the scenes drama that that led up to this. The, the editor in chief, Jim Shooter, actually told them, Chris Claremont and, and John Byrne, that they had to kill her. Originally, that wasn't the plan. Originally, Jean was going to survive this episode and not be the phoenix anymore but the phoenix potentially was going to be this reoccurring villain that would here and there just kind of possess gene they'd be like oh the phoenix possessed gene again we have to deal with this so that was originally the plan and then the editor yeah (laughs) um and jim shooter editor-in-chief at marvel said like no she destroyed a planet you have to you know and and from all reports, Jim Shooter wasn't a great guy, but in this respect, it seems to be the best. He was move. like, maybe yeah. we draw the line at genocide. Maybe, right. Like- <laughs> <laughs> right. So you know, and it's interesting because yeah, there's all kinds of motivations for for wanting to deal with the consequences of that. But but the way yeah. it ended up being written, I, I think if you hadn't read about any of that editorial behind the scenes drama, it, it just seems mm-hmm. like that was the that was the intention for the story all along, which I think is, right. is super fascinating. But yeah. yeah, I do think it's interesting that so Jim Shooter, while he did get his way, and Gene did end up being killed. The other thing is basically what happened, like the Phoenix Force continues to come back and yes. <laughs> is a recurring sort of villain in X-Men for the next, what's it been, 
50 years. <laughs> right. Gene dies, comes back. Gene dies, comes back. So that just goes to show you, Jim, there's nothing you can do. Destiny is destiny. <laughs> and just because you're the editor of Marvel doesn't mean you're all powerful. Right. You're right. Editor the in Phoenix. chief, excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the Phoenix had its way in the end. This is this is the Phoenix's plan. It was like, hey, I'm gonna be yeah. around. Are we yeah. gonna say that the Dark Phoenix was too powerful for even for even Jim Shooter? For even Jim? Right. <laughs> I, I think that's what we're saying. Yeah, that seems yeah. that's that's what bore out. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> um and yeah, so and I mean, and there's all kinds of conversations about whether the way the Dark Phoenix saga developed, whether it's sexist or not, but the fact that she's this woman with this power and how emotional she's presented as being. Do either of you ha- have any kind of takes on that dimension of it? I have a lot of takes on that. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the pe- the thing that a lot of times people forget and just kind of don't talk about and gloss over, and I do think that this is partially because of sexism, not like active sexism, but just mm-hmm. the way that we think of women, is that Jean Grey didn't just go crazy. The Phoenix didn't just go crazy. This was all Mastermind's fault. Mm-hmm. She was being manipulated by a man who was screwing with her head and then broke something in her head and unleashed something extremely powerful. And I feel like that's, that's really important to the story, even though Mastermind is like a two-bit villain. And I think it's probably good that people forget that he exists. Uh, <laughs> right. That's probably for the best. But at the same time, you can't forget that it wasn't just Jean getting all emotional and hysterical and going crazy because she couldn't handle the power of the Phoenix. She has handled the power of the Phoenix other times when nobody was mm-hmm. interfering with her. Like, But this time, the reason that she went crazy is not because of the corrupting power of the Phoenix or the fragility of the female psyche. It was because <laughs> this creepy man mastermind was screwing with her head and for some reason even i'm not even talking about just with the way that fans talk about it but even when it's written and when it comes up in future storylines like avengers versus x-men the reason that gene went crazy was not because of the phoenix it was not because of gene it was because of mastermind that's why all this happened i mean not to take away her agency and like the bad decisions that she made she still definitely made those decisions but you have to acknowledge that there was an outside villainous influence that was separate from both gene and the phoenix that caused everything Mm -hmm. yeah melissa do you have any additional thoughts on that i mean yeah that sounds right i don't know Yeah, I mean, it sounds right to me, too. I, I It's just uh, it's so interesting because it's it's only and I think part of the, the discourse in, in that direction is the fact that you only see a woman with this amount of power yeah. and it's such a prominent storyline. So, I mean, years later, eventually you'll see other people have the Phoenix possess them and they act in a similar matter. So in Avengers versus X-Men, Cyclops, you know, like he can't really handle that amount of power without making mistakes as well. So isn't even you know, he just only has like one fifth of it because yeah. it like split up and they all mm-hmm. act like jackasses. Yeah. Sorry, should I not? <laughs> no, no, yeah. So <laughs> once you kind of have that context, it is kind of like it's much less. You can't really re- I don't think you can read it as problematic. But but in this kind of like in the time it was published, it, it was only that this woman character that had this amount of power. 
So I can see how people kind of read into it as, as making kind of statement about whatever. But yeah, but uh, yeah, especially if you kind of pair it with Storm, because Storm also is an extremely powerful character and she's elevated to the position of goddess. And I could see how you can make the argument of she can't just be a normal woman with that power. She has to be exceptional somehow. But nobody calls Professor Xavier a god, but he also has a near unlimited amount of power. It doesn't drive him crazy. He doesn't have to be elevated beyond just being a man, you know? Mm -hmm. So I can see it. I can understand it. Mm -hmm. And there's probably some validity to it. I mean, Claremont is kind of gross. So yeah. he, mm -hmm. I mean... Claremont has written some very, very misogynistic stories, especially surrounding Storm and Jean Grey. So, I mean, mm -hmm. not to Didn't like, he write that him. magic Ileana story where he just tortured her the whole time? He did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But we, we still got the nude bathing scene for Storm, and then he tortured a young girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was such a good story, but the whole time we were like, but this is gross. Why? <laughs> I mean, that's basically a summary of Claremont's writing career. Like, this yeah, is such just... a good story, but wow. Wow. <laughs> All right, Chris. Really good story, but I have some notes. Like, <laughs> maybe maybe you talk to your doing... mom. Like, maybe... Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe I mean, there's some probably... stuff you and your uh, sister need to work out in therapy. I don't know. <laughs> Can someone please tell me what just happened? Previously on X-Men. Six years roll on by and Jean Grey and the Phoenix remain but a memory. But when Marvel Comics decides to bring the original members of the X-Men back together in a new team, they realize they need to figure out how to bring one of their IPs back from the dead. They, uh, strangely don't do it in a comic with an X in the title. Fantastic, Fantastic Four, Four 286. 286. Written and penciled by You Know Who. That's what it says in the comic, but it's John Byrne. Apparently, he refused to have his name on it because a large portion of the comic was altered, according to Byrne by Chris Claremont and artist Jackson Goyce. I found out about that bit after I recorded with Melissa and Monte, so I'm an asshole, I guess. Oh, also, the core idea of how to bring Gene back was Kurt Busiek's. It was meant to get past Jim Shooter's edict that Gene would have to stay dead since she committed planetary murder. That part I did know about before, but... I guess I just don't mention it at all in the conversation later. Anyway, seems like there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen for this one. Inked by Terry Austin. Colored by Glynis Oliver. Lettered by John Workman. Edited by Michael Carlin. With special thanks to Roger Stern and Kurt Busiek. They spelled Kurt Busiek's name wrong. Okay, so the Avengers find this strange cocoon at the bottom of Jamaica Bay and ask the Fantastic Four to look at it. It's Jean Grey. She busts out and fights the Avengers in Fantastic Four. Once the fight is over, they all figure out that this is the real Jean, and that that other Jean was Phoenix, who placed Jean in the cocoon so she could heal from the intense radiation burns that nearly killed her. Meanwhile, Phoenix pretended to be Jean, for reasons. Jean then finds this magic egg Phoenix left behind, that holds all the memories of what the Phoenix experienced while Jean was in the cocoon. Jean absorbs it, so now it's like she experienced all of that. But for legal reasons, she also didn't. So, cool. 
So our next one is not an X-Men comic. It's Fantastic Four, number 286. This is where Jean Grey, this is Jean Grey's next appearance after X-Men 137, and in which we learned that Jean Grey didn't actually appear in 137 or any of the appearances after X-Men 101 where she supposedly turned into Phoenix. Apparently what really happened was Jean, Jean was was in this uh, cocoon at the bottom of Jamaica Bay for years. And the Phoenix took on the appearance of Jean Grey and some aspects of her personality and kind of pretended that she was Jean Grey for a while. The actual Jean time to heal. And I, I don't know. What, what, what did you think of this one? I remember Monte once talking about how they later retcon Jean Grey to remove the conflict of like it wasn't her fault and you kind of remove her agency after the fact saying well it wasn't actually her it was actually this other thing and that's why she can't be held responsible for the bad decision she made which sort of undermines the Dark Phoenix saga is this what you're talking that you were talking about Monte that's what I was thinking the whole time I was reading this yeah so that's Monte's opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my neighbor's dog is barking, so I'm just going to wait a little bit until I'm sure he's done. Okay. So keep talking. Maybe Melissa. the dog has opinions on the Phoenix as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure. sure it does. <laughs> but yeah, I guess editorially, they wanted to bring Jean Grey back. and But I, I guess Chris Claremont didn't want to have anything to do with it. John Byrne was off the title at this point. He was writing and drawing Fantastic Four. And so he got the, the gig to explain the whole story of why it wasn't really Jean Grey that died, but it was actually the Phoenix pretending to be Jean Grey. And, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of bad, to be honest. I, I don't, I don't, I think this, I don't really buy this explanation. I, I never did. I, I thought if you're going to bring Jean back, why not just kind of say that she rematerialized or something instead of saying it just seems too complicated why why say that she was actually in this cocoon for so many years instead of just saying the, the phoenix is supposedly this all-powerful thing why can't it just rematerialize its last host or, or whatever so i, I mean it's I, comic I, books so like they can clearly make it as complicated yeah. as they want they could also just do what you do you know like they can make it kind of simple right and I, and i guess the reason for that is they wanted to create this storyline of jean having to to catch up and and remember everything that happened while she was gone and having to start from scratch with a lot of her friends and yeah monte is that dog still barking okay i think it might be done um nope <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah i think I agree with Chris Claremont that this kind of shits all over his story <laughs> and like <laughs> the the poignancy of it. it. It also sets up this situation where I, to be clear, I love the Phoenix Force. Like I think it's really cool. And especially when it's drawn well, I think the art, Phoenix art can be so, so, so good. That's one of the reasons why I really like Avengers versus X-Men, despite its problems, because I just think the art in it is so very good. But the Phoenix Force becoming a recurring villain, or not even villain, but just like a recurring thing in X-Men, I can see why Chris Claremont would feel like that undermines the emotional weight of his story. And also, I can see how it oftentimes becomes sort of a crutch for people when they're writing the x-men and i think avengers versus x-men is a prime example of that 
where you'll have people saying things that don't really even make sense necessarily. And the explanation is just, oh, well, it's the Phoenix. So what are you going to do? Wolverine, uh, it's the Phoenix. So we have to kill this child. Like, what What do you want me to do? Like, <laughs> it's the Phoenix. Like, you know, do you realize what the Phoenix has done to me? Or like, I think there's literally a part in Avengers versus X-Men where everybody is talking about all that the Phoenix has done to Cyclops. And I'm like... What are you talking? Jean Grey died. She fucking died. <laughs> what are you talking about? What it's done to Cyclops? <sighs> I don't know. I I think that the recurring use of the Phoenix really does make the original Dark Phoenix saga mean a little bit less. But mm-hmm. it's still a really great story, and it's really interesting to read. And while a lot of the future stories don't really do the themes as well they do hit on that question of personal responsibility versus outside influence and rebirth and all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, as far as this specific issue, like the fantastic four issue, I did think it was pretty fun, especially how Jean comes out of the cocoon and she's just like ready to fight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who you people are. I don't know what's going on, but we are fighting now. And I'm like, of course, she assumes they're robots. She's like, you're a robot. You're a robot. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to kill all of you because you're all robots. <laughs> you know, I, I I think that was a very safe assumption for her to make. And yeah, I, I did like that part. That was probably my favorite part of the comic was her kind of coming out swinging. Yeah, <laughs> it's so um, fun. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's drawn really well. John Byrne's a great artist. I just don't think he does good at this. Like, because I read another one where he was writing and, and drawing West Coast Avengers, and he brought back the uh, original Human Torch from like the Golden Age, and that one was also this very like lawyerly explanation for how the Human Torch didn't actually die and came back to life. And it's just like, I, I don't think that kind of that kind of level of detail explaining how our character came back just never really like does it for me because it makes me pick it apart in a way that if it was a more simple explanation, I wouldn't take it apart. And I'd just be like, okay, this is this is what happened. Yeah. But. Like, who cares? If you just tell us she's back and that's all we need to know, like, I'll accept that. But if you go into, oh, yeah, this happened and then this happened and this is how it happened and this is the physics behind it and uh, <laughs> all life is just chemistry. So here's the equations. I don't care. And also <laughs> what you're saying doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Yeah, the more complicated you make it, the more plot holes exist and the easier it is to pick apart and then the easier it is to just kind of, it's like less impactful because you're just buried in the details, but having a story about people, that's what's actually interesting. And that's why I like Star Trek because they never bother to explain anything that doesn't make any sense. So they just (laughs) are like, something weird happened and it's because... Space science. Yeah, it's uh, space science. So, oh, you can't yep. see me, but I just gave the camera the middle finger. <laughs> so. Yeah, they, they like do explain it, but they're not like we don't actually need real words and real science to back this up. It's all made up. It none of it makes any actual sense. But we mm-hmm. just. We just go for it. And I love it when comics do that, too, because that's why I'm here. 
Mm-hmm. Not yeah, to I read lo- a textbook. <laughs> yeah, I love a good Star Trek like kind of one-off line where there just gets it, the quantum. It's a quantum phase or, or something like that. And it's just yeah. like, all right. If you put quantum in, in, yeah. in the explanation, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just like I'm with you. Anytime there's quantum there, I'm like, yep, yeah, that 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 makes sense to me. Yeah, if you go oh, to this a, is a conference room, bread. okay. Oh. <laughs> you go into a conference room. One of the smart people stands up at the front, and they're like, "So you can see that crazy." crazy crazy is just like crazy you know and everyone's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. so what is the, what's the solution they're like what if we did something even crazier and everyone's like <laughs> oh yeah 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 that's science that that that, that we can back that up with real science yeah <laughs> yeah and then data will be like the odds of this actually working or whatever but it always works i mean it but it always work. works yeah it's just it's funny. <laughs> there's some shaky cam and then everything's good yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah. So Melissa, do you, do you kind of agree with Monte that this story kind of invalidates the, the other one or what are you? What yeah. Your... I mean, I did, I did love the Dark Phoenix saga so much and it, and it does feel a little bit like, oh, eh. it just makes me not like this story as much. And I still like it doesn't it doesn't detract my enjoyment of the original story. It just detracts from my enjoyment of this story because it just feels like it's just one long elaborate scenario to remove blame uh, from this character that the thing that I thought was interesting about them now it wasn't even them the whole time. So I'm like, okay, now I go back to not caring about Jean Grey because I don't really know much about her other than the Phoenix stuff. I mean, granted, that's my fault for not reading more of her comics, but hey, that's not yeah. my fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. Because like, so so the Dark Phoenix story originally was a story about Jean dealing with this immense power, which is interesting. And then now it's kind of more becomes the Phoenix dealing with all of Jean's baggage. Like it's like a different story. It's like this, this cosmic entity having to deal with having human emotions, which is, which could also be an interesting story, but it just, that wasn't the story they were telling. So it doesn't work in that context. So yeah. Yes. I think also when Jean comes back, so I don't know if there's something, if there's stuff that happens in between this and X factor, but when she comes back and she's on X factor, in that book, she's a much better character than she was before, I think. So, I mean, that's one positive of this is that it did allow Jean to be used in other stories. And the character's been used pretty effectively, I think, most of the time, at least. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad they, they brought her back. But mm-hmm. I never, I never like, and I think this is still the official what happened. I, I think this is still like the official part in canon of what happened, but it just doesn't, I don't know. People don't really talk about it as much because it just makes less and less sense the further you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I reject it. I yeah. don't acknowledge it. Yeah. It was Gene the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there there's a story. It's much later. I want to say it's from 2015, 2016. Whenever Gene came back the most recent time or the most recent time before or the time before the most recent time. (laughs) (laughs) You all know that one, right? Yeah. Yeah, You know, it was one of those three times. Yeah. I I never read the one where she comes back later, but I think it was like its own comic, like Phoenix Resurrection or something. Yes. I haven't read it. And then there was X-Men Red, but I haven't read that either. So 
X-Men Red is so good. Is it? Yeah, I got, I got to get to it. I remember wanting to read it when it came out because I was kind of off comics at that point, but I heard about X-Men Red and I was like, actually, this sounds pretty good, but haven't gotten to it yet. Melissa, that this like era of comics is, I think, right after Inhumans versus X-Men mm-hmm. or shortly after Inhumans versus X-Men. And the whole line was just sort of in chaos. I also stopped reading X-Men around this time because it just seemed like everything was garbage. But X-Men Red is pretty good. Cool. You didn't enjoy Inhumans versus X-Men, right? I fucking hate Inhumans versus X-Men. <laughs> More I than met... I hate most things. I, I, yeah, I, I haven't really met too many people that liked it. Well, there's me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Melissa and Veronica, for some godforsaken reason, really enjoyed Inhumans vs. X Men. They were like, "Oh yeah, we think like these characters are these cameos are also great." And I really feel closer to these characters. And I'm just like, "Ah!" <laughs> well, our friendship broke that day. Yeah. Oh no. Well, I haven't the character to that assassination episode, but... of Emma Frost. You're talking about misogyny. You as a woman should be embarrassed for liking that story. <laughs> what can I say? I was dumb and young and I didn't know any better. <laughs> I hated women. What can I say? What can I say? Like <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to hate it. That was my problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I feel you there because I I'll, I'll, I read comics or like watch movies sometimes and I'll be like, oh, it was pretty good. And then I find the overall reaction to it like online and everybody hates it for all these specific reasons. And I'm yeah. like, oh, uh, okay. It's always like, it's always like, it's like, how dare you? If you <laughs> yeah. liked this, then it's like personally, something's wrong with you as a person. And you get on the right. internet and you're just like, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, I, I generally hate that mindset, <laughs> but in this case, it's correct. <laughs> <laughs> just just for in humans versus just like X-Men. for me when i do it right now and then yeah. the, any other time it's not okay <laughs> right <laughs> that's good uh cool all right this was fun any any other thoughts about i don't know anything <laughs> anything in life gene gray or otherwise <laughs> glad gene gray's back wish yeah. it had been handled differently but at least yeah. it's happened Mm-hmm. And we've had 50 years of continuity, really enjoying that that Jean Grey content. Yeah. It's totally fine to bring characters back. but because yeah, then you get to kill them again. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's fine. I don't yep. super care when they kill off characters and then bring them back in a different way. Because I think sometimes you just got to kill someone for the impact of the story. And doesn't everyone knows they might come back. And it doesn't matter, you know? Mm-hmm. we can just separate both stories <clears throat> as long as they're done well mm-hmm. no i like a good resurrection story a lot of them aren't good though <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i love a, i love a good heroic sacrifice it's always good oh yeah yeah cool sometimes when the hero wants to sacrifice themselves but then against their own will like something happens randomly that saves them and like sometimes that can be satisfying but there's also just an actual sacrifice that has an impact i mean wasn't yeah it was in that the new the marvel movies gamora Mm -hmm. no i'm black widow black widow and both of them yeah Yeah, they both both, that's right they both sacrificed themselves and they didn't come back and that was 
impactful. Now, of course, <laughs> they keep killing off the female characters, and it's like, guys, we need more female characters, not less female characters. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> these storylines are good, but you might need to make new ones. Like, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. It- well, they killed Iron Man because they didn't want to pay him anymore. <laughs> That's his but, contract yeah. ran out. But, yeah. but it was also yes. a favor to me. I I specifically <laughs> wrote Marvel and was like, "Hey guys, I'm really tired of this guy being in in movies. Can you just kill him?" And they were like, "Bet we got you." Awesome. Oh, that was so nice of them. Fan service. <laughs> awesome. All right. Yeah, I think that's that's all I really have. Yeah. Thanks for joining me today. Melissa Monte, where can people find you in your podcast? Yeah, if you want to keep up with us on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SJWComicsCast or email us directly at SJWComicsPodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to have you, I guess. And thank you so much for having us on your podcast. This was so fun. I love talking about Jean Grey, even though I barely know anything about Jean Grey. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, no, it, it was it was awesome to to chat with you about this. I, re- I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right. And that's going to wrap things up for this episode of Not a Hoax, Not a Dream. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can tell a friend or give the show a good review on wherever you listened or somewhere you didn't listen. Five stars on Apple Podcasts will help. If you want to follow the show on social media, that is a thing that's possible. Just check out the show notes for those sites, including the Patreon, where you could send me a dollar a month to fund the creation of lifelike robotic X-Men. Look, it was good technology, but in the wrong hands. I'm going to try to fit in another episode in two weeks, but it's also possible this will be the last full episode for the year. But I'm planning to put out some bonus episodes, so look out for those. Until next time, may you find that magical egg that contains the memories of everything that happened while you were healing in a cocoon at the bottom of Jamaica Bay. See ya.